So, okay, All In is the uh, series, but really, you know, during the Christmas season, our focus was on the miraculous birth of John. Remember that? We called it Silence and Song, and we spent five weeks, I spent five weeks teaching on the miraculous birth of John. We were talking about how God worked with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and how their story of the birth of John, who would later be called John the Baptist, right? How John was intertwined, his birth, miraculous birth, was intertwined with the birth of Christ. And so if you read the account in Luke, you see that they all mesh together. And again, well, we ended it last week. Some of you were here. You remember I had that yellow pad out. We were trying to envision that moment where John's being named. And I said, his name is John, right? And we just, and then at that moment, Zechariah breaks out in song. So we talked about that and the birth of John and what, a, what an amazing blessing it was. But now we come to a new year. And uh, I'm extraordinarily excited about it. Uh, of those of you who've been listening to Rise and Shine, now Rise and Shine has been the devotional that we've been doing in the mornings. Been sending it out to anybody who has the Cornerstone app. You, you can go on, on the website and get it. But if you have the Cornerstone app, you get a notification at 6 a.m. in the morning. And, and, and all you have to do is just you know, download the app, the Cornerstone SF app, and, and, and we send this. And we originally just said, hey, you know, we're just going to do it like an advent calendar and do it through the month of December. But we had such a positive response and we felt that uh, at minimum, we wanted to help everybody get started uh, you know, on the year in a good place, in a good way. And we thought if this can help contribute to a positive momentum, we'll just continue doing it through the month of January. And so I want to really encourage some of you. It's only a minute, a minute, about a minute 15, a minute 30 seconds. And all it does is it ties a lot into where we've been sharing. It might just give a theme, a verse, a prayer, just a quick way of being able to stay connected, to stay in the rhythm of what we're sharing. And it could be a real goal for the entire month. Because, you know, how you start a year has a lot to do. It, it actually has a lot to do with what that year becomes. A start always affects um, the end of something, for sure. How we start matters. And I want to encourage you, even if you came out of the gates a little rocky, it's not too late to start well. Um, this is a good starting place. If you feel like God's speaking to your heart about really how to pursue something, we're going to come out of this time together and feel a conviction around how I'm supposed to maybe respond to this. Um, this is not too, it's not too late to still gain the momentum and the blessing of the new year. You know, when a tree grows, the direction it grows in at the beginning is what ultimately shapes where it goes, right? So how we are paying attention to the start of this year is a big deal. And it's going to determine a lot of the growth that's going to work in our lives. And so we want to do whatever we can to help that that process along that, that um, you know, again, just making sure that you have as much equipment as you need and encouragement to prevail through the, through the labyrinthine ways sometimes that, that uh, we have to find our way through in life. So, okay, all in is the theme. So if you were getting Rise and Shine, you would have already known that, that that's what we've been talking about. All in, you know, that's going to be our theme. Jesus himself, who's our master, our, our teacher, our guide, he said this in, in Luke 9, 23. He said this. He said, if anyone will come after me, let him, let him follow me, right? Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And this is the whole message of Jesus. The idea of it being a daily thing. The idea of being all in for the Lord. You can see that when Jesus talked about it, he used metaphor that, metaphors that were compelling. He he was talking about being willing to die to certain things so that other things might live. And how if you're going to follow Jesus in a way that's going to work, it's going to have to be done uh, with, uh, with the utmost of commitment. 
One of the things that uh, they put in the handout there, and I'm not gonna actually read it all the way through, but you can see there's this huge quotation from one of the great books uh, that has been written by, uh, I, I would say the, the, the previous century, the 20th century, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, would have to rank as one of the most influential books ever written uh, for Christians, for followers of Jesus. And in it, he, the title of the book is called The Cost of Discipleship. And you know, Bonhoeffer was the German pastor who ends up being uh, killed by Hitler in Nazi Germany. Um, but his words have echoed on. And he talked about, the way he described the idea of being all in is he contrasted, and you'll see it, maybe later on in the, the day you want to read it or can just ponder it throughout the week as we sit with what it means to be all in for God. But he talked about the difference between what he called cheap grace and costly grace. He talked about how the, the message of Jesus calls out something that even though it's free in the sense that you can never buy it, it's so valuable that it costs us everything, right? That it was never designed to just be dabbled with passively. That it actually doesn't work right. It can't work. You, we will be disappointed. I can say it straight up. We will be disappointed um, following Jesus if we don't throw our heart into it and commit to being all in. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time. But it, you know what? When I was a teenager, I, was, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus in my teens. And my grandfather was uh, the, a pastor. And I told him about how God was working in my life. And I said, you know, I'm serious. I want to follow Jesus. I made a commitment in high school as a freshman. And he said to me, I'll never forget it. He said to me, he says, Terry, because I was, I was a little discouraged after I got started it off a pretty good start, I got a little discouraged. And he says, Terry, listen to me. And it was one of, the, one of the things I remembered him saying. He says, if you are going to follow Jesus, then follow Jesus. If you're going to do it, do it. But don't do it halfway. Make up your mind. Because it doesn't work halfway. It doesn't work. That's what Jesus was saying. If you want to come after me and be my follower, you're going to have to be willing to be open to dying so that things can live. This kingdom works. It works. But it won't work transformatively unless we're willing to go all in on it. And to me, there's no greater example, or at least there are a few greater examples of, of someone who was all in for God than the man that I'd like us to sit with in the next few weeks to open up the year. And that man's name is John. They would later call him John the Baptist because he baptized people in water under repentance to prepare the way of their heart for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. All right? A Messiah he didn't know at the time, but he just knew he was coming. Now, it's interesting. Whenever we talk about John, many, most of us have heard of John the Baptist. In fact, most of us think, oh, that's his last name. You know, the Baptist is his last name. <laughs> but it really wasn't. He's John. He was the son of Zechariah, right? But his, it's, that's been so long associated with him that I think it's okay, it's fine, because then we immediately recognize, oh, of all the different Johns that are mentioned in the Bible, that John the Baptist, he's, he's the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who baptized people and got them ready. That's true. Only, the only downside of that is it sort of obscures the other qualities that John had that are so outstanding. I mean, I look at his life, and I look at the way he models things, and I go, ah, he had his courage, his loyalty, as we're going to see. I mean, his passion his fire, but most of all, as we'll explore it, his humility. 
the way we're going to do this series, I'm gonna, my, my contribution at the front end is to do three parts with John. And then we'll have a, Pastor Lewis and a few others share. Then I'm going to come back around again and do five more messages on John and how he models all in for us and what that means for us. I've always wanted to preach on John. All my years, I've actually never, ever really shared a study or a teaching on John specifically for a period of time. So I'm, I'm actually very excited about what we're doing, not just because of what we can learn from it, but because what we can apply to it. I'm gonna, you're going to watch him wrestle with his identity, what it means to, to have to try to understand what is God up to in my life right now, what does it mean to step forward courageously? What does it mean to step off the stage and let someone else walk onto it? What does it mean to have to live in the questions of why God isn't showing up in the way that I thought he was going to? All these things are going to be explored. And they're all helpful for all in. But oh, for the time that we have, I've got to hustle here. So let me, let, me, let me look at the uh, passage there in your handout. You can have your Bibles follow along or the Bible app. You can do that as well. We're going to quickly read through Luke 1. Verses 13 through 17, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. I talked about this before, but I do want to connect, th- connect what, how John's birth occurred and what was said about him and with what we ultimately jump into. So, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Remember, that was John's father, for your prayer has been heard. What prayer? That long ago prayer that you forgot about, that prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're going to call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many, many are going to rejoice at his birth. He's going to be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. His life is going to be characterized by an intense moral restraint. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. People are going to recognize the hand of God on his life. He's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll be a great reformer. He's going to touch people, change people. In fact, he's going to go before the people in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. Elijah was um, a prophet. Here was the significance of Elijah, if you study him in the Older Testament. He was a prophetic reformer who came outside of culture and spoke into it. He didn't speak into the culture and call it towards God. He came outside the culture. And what we're being told here is John will be someone who's coming from outside the culture to speak into it. He was living at a time in history where the nation of Israel had, for the most part, forgotten God. Many people weren't even thinking about God that much beyond him in some, you know, disconnected way. Maybe there's, you know, there was other group of people who were following God at the time. The cultural sort of zeitgeist, the, the feel of the culture was that even people who were following the Lord um, were doing it more out of formality and more out of kind of an obligation, out of a cultural sense. It was a disconnected thing from their heart. They put in their time, did the religious thing, and just it didn't really affect how they were living, doing business, uh, building their lives. And so John comes into the scene with this kind of prosperous environment. Sounds familiar in my mind. Comes into the scene, and he's, he's going to speak the words of God to a generation that is, for the most part, forgotten God, or, or essentially said, without saying it, He's really irrelevant to the everydayness of my life. And John's going to come into that environment. It says here, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He's going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so it's almost like before he's even born, his future is described as he's going to be an impactor, but he's going to be one who comes outside of culture to speak into it. Now, 
Then what happens during those years? How does John grow up? What are the things that transpired in his life? We don't know. What we know is everything is summarized in one verse. It's amazing. Luke 1 is one of the longest chapters in the entire Bible. John's is essentially the gap between John's birth and when he emerges as the, the one who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. All of that gap, right, is basically summed up in one verse, verse 80. And you can see it and read it with me. It says that the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We're told here he was a man of the wilderness. We would call that kind of a man of the desert wilderness. Again, waiting outside of culture for the right time to engage it. And then that day came, and oh, watch how it's described. Okay, watch how it's described. Luke 3, and this is where we'll, we'll finish our, our, our scripture reading. Luke 3, 1 through 6. Watch what the Bible does. It's very important to the scripture that it is embedded into a historical context. The writer wants you to know the time and who was leading the nation at the time in the Roman Empire, etc. So watch what happens. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so we're given something, Pontius Pilate, you're going to recognize that name again, right? Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch, or the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis. Doesn't that sound like an illness to you? I read it first, I go, what? I hope I don't have it. Do I have Trachonitis? Okay. Um, <laughs> And Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. So here's the time. Watch what it's, ah, oh, I love. You could almost say this is, the, this is the beginning of the beginning. Watch how it unravels. And the word, I love it. John's, we don't know how long he's been in the wilderness. He probably went sometime in his, in his late teens. He leaves society and goes into the desert wilderness to live. But during that time till he's around 30 years old, it says, and the word of God, I love this, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, when he was in the wilderness. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he responded. He went into all the region around the Jordan, look at that, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the, he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. Again, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. A shift, a movement is about to begin, it begins in earnest, if you will, the first note struck that will change the world forever. It begins here. The movement, you could almost suggest that the beginning of the movement of Jesus into this public world starts with the movement of John out of the wilderness to engage the culture. Watch what transpires, right? Something rattled in his spirit, something, something triggered him into motion. He had been waiting in the wilderness, and then it came. The last time a prophet had been acknowledged in Israel had been some 400 years earlier. You look at your Bible, and you'll see the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And between Malachi and John, there was no prophet, no voice, no word. Silence. Silence. That was all like a 
like an eerie silence before a storm is about to hit. And what a storm was about to hit. A man ablaze, a man on fire with the passion of God who had been preparing and listening alone in the wilderness and then the word of the Lord came. How did that come to him? Was it a voice, like an audible voice? Time to go, John. Was it an impression? A sign? Like he saw something that said, this is the time I've been prepared for. No one really knows. But what we do know is this. The word of the Lord came to him. And he, and the, and the, and, and he knew when that happened that the moment, listen, he had been told by his parents that he was born for. And the reason he had left civilization, if you will, that moment, the whole purpose of it was now upon him. Everything about it, he would emerge like a prophet of old. He lived in the uh, desert, Judean desert wilderness. I'm gonna, I know, I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna put a map up just because I think it's always good for us to know, okay? You see where Jerusalem is? You see where the Dead Sea is? All right, in between that, especially towards the south, the Judean wilderness. That's where he was living. You can get different pictures of it. We were just there, saw it with our own eyes. It looks a lot like what you're about to see right here. This is a picture of it. That's where he's, that is essentially where John was living. You can see, oh, by the way, you see the difference? It's, it's not true desert. It, it has kind of, there's hilly, there's, there's you know, kind of crevices, there's rocks, there's little oases in different places, there's little streams. But for the most part, it has it's desert, it's, it's desert. But it's a desert kind of wilderness to it. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it has its unique beauty. When you're there, when you see it, you, you, will, you, you are moved in some way. I used to disregard uh, desert beauty. Growing up in San Francisco, I literally grew up on 47th Avenue, so my first memories was the seeing Pacific Ocean, right? I remember growing up, that's what I saw. It was, I just took it for granted, but I realized what a beautiful thing it is. As the years went by, I realized what an amazing place San Francisco was, the beauty of the city, just geographically by the bay. The whole fact that there was just within a few hours away, one of the greatest, beautiful, natural wonders of the world, Yosemite. I love Yosemite, I have to say it. It's just absolutely gorgeous to me. Um, I, when we were just a young family and through those early years and their teens, we would, when all the kids would go together for the summer, uh, we would, we would we like to go to national parks. That was one of the things we liked to do because it was inexpensive and, and we, could, we could go on hikes together and kind of be outdoorsy. We were city, but that's something we liked and I fell in love with it at a later period of my life. I'm saying all that not because I'm about to show you the shots of all the Brisbane's on vacation for the last 20 years. <laughs> there were two national parks as the years went by that stood out to me because I saw a number of them. Uh, two that stood out to me and, and caught me off guard because I wasn't expecting to be affected by their beauty. Uh, one uh, what is one that you can actually drive to um, fairly, death, one is Death Valley, I know. It's like, it just, how could that be? It was beautiful in its own way. But the other one was, similar to it, the Badlands of South Dakota. And I didn't even know about that. When I went there, I was stunned by the sparseness of its beauty. And it reminds me of a little bit of the Judean wilderness. And one of the things you see here in this shot of the Badlands at dusk 
is pretty cool because you can see the colors, right? And try to imagine what John was viewing on a rhythm of his life. The beige, the blue, the lavender, the vanilla cream, the yellow and the orange. In the desert, one can think long thoughts, right? You can think long thoughts. In the solitude, you can hear things clearly in a way that's a little harder when we have people all around us, right? Um, the silence, the loneliness, the, the sounds of silence, right? The ear becomes attuned to nature's unique symphony when you're that far out for that long of time. And when you hear that symphony of nature through a spiritual lens, your heart begins to burn with a sense of God's goodness and greatness as you stand in awe of the work and artistry of a master artist, right? Your heart is sensitized towards God. And in the desert, there's no question that John has got the desert in him. He's a man of the wilderness. He's a man of the wilderness. So when, he, when he's talking, in fact, when, you're going to see that he'll, he will use imagery, right? When he comes and engages in the Gospels, he's going to use imagery, no doubt that was tied to what he had seen uh, in those years in, in the desert, because like he'll say something like to the, the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, right? Well, that's an imagery that he had seen. He'd seen the tangled mass of, of vipers that could be seen in the desert wilderness at times. If you fell into that kind of a hole, you were a dead man or a dead woman, no question. He had seen trees that bore no fruit, that were just like ch either charred because they'd been struck by lightning or had been scorched to a point where they were no longer alive. And he says, those trees are good for, you are like a tree that bears nothing. You're, you're the only purpose you have is to be cut down and used for firewood, right? These were the images on his mind. And it's not like, it's not like John never uh, uh, came into contact with people. Uh, he grew up around them. He was, father, he was in a town in Judea. His father was a priest, remember? Right? So he knew the ways of the temple. He had been to Jerusalem as a boy, as a young man. Uh, he was a PK, priest kid, you know? I mean, that's what he was. He grew up that way. And, and so it was, it was just as an adult, though, that he had withdrawn. He had withdrawn and, and, and into a more isolated life perhaps making periodic forays in the towns or the cities, but for the most part, he was a man of the desert. And you know what he dressed like when, when people saw John, they knew it immediately. Because this is what he's described at in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Check it out, Matthew 3, 4. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food. He had a good diet, kept him lean. <laughs> Locusts and honey. In the, in the wilderness, if you knew where to find them, they were there in abundance. When he came, he was outside of culture, but he understood it. He had seen it with his own eyes, grown up around it, watched it, knew what his purpose was. Right? Oh, it says there, camel's skin. It was one of the, one of the things that you could get. In, in the, in the uh, camels, <laughs> in the Middle East, camels are, they were everything, right? Camels were an amazing thing. You know what, they, you're, you know what you're looking at right there? Look at that car lot right there, right? Those are two cars. Because that was the transportation of their day, a camel. Camels are amazing creatures suited for carrying 
water and letting it last for long stretches of time, perfect for the desert, the way they store it. They were able to give milk. They were amazing. Worst case scenario, right? Worst case, they, they, they obviously at some point when a camel died, you could use, the, use it for clothing as well. John did. And in an absolute pinch, and hear me out in the best way I mean this, but um, if a person was at the point where they were utterly stuck and had nothing to eat, well, you know, that camel, you, the thing about it is you cannot eat your car, but you could, you could, yeah, I know. Take it for what's worth. I just thought I threw that in there for a bonus. All right. The point is that John dressed like a prophet of the Older Testament named Elijah. You know, I don't know if it was coincidence or not. I don't think it was. Because when people saw him, they said, oh, that he reminds us of Elijah, what we read about about Elijah, because that's the garment he wore, the same type of garment. And I think John was doing it because his purpose and, and calling were, were similar. Right? So he, I, I, <laughs> he emerges preaching a message of repentance um, to a culture, again, that for the most part had forgotten God and had lost their their sense of his real vitality at work in their life. And his message was, you don't understand this, but God's about to do the thing he's been talking about for a long time, and you're going to see it with your own eyes. I tell you, Messiah's coming, but your heart needs to get ready. You need to serve God. You need to love God. And I want to baptize any of you who are willing into the waters of baptism and to repentance so that you might say, coming out of those waters, I am open to the new thing that God is doing. And I was thinking about it because it says he baptized people in the Jordan River and the Jordan River, you can still see it, is a beautiful, it is beautiful. It's not always flowing at this level, but you get an impression of where John would have baptized. That's going to be a kind of scenario where he's ultimately going to be confronted with one of the most amazing moments in his life when the Messiah he's coming to introduce introduces himself to John and says, would you baptize me? And every paradigm John has, and now I'm getting way ahead of myself, but every paradigm John has is assaulted right there because he's saying, what do you mean me baptize you? I'm supposed to be baptized, baptizing you. It's going to be, okay, I've only got a couple of minutes left, so here we go. I don't want to rush. I have things to, for us to think about moving into the year, drawing from what we just read about John because we're going to pick back up next week. Do you see this? Let me put it up there, especially for those of us who are taking notes and taking trying to pay attention as best as we can, listening for God. Do you see the value of waiting, waiting for the right time? Do you know it's hard to wait well? It's hard to wait well. I, I, you know, I have a couple things in my own uh, life that I'm having to wait on. And, and just, just true confession, it's been very difficult for me to wait on them, Right? And to wait well, to wait well. See, waiting well has to do with our attitude. It has to do with trust. It has to do with what we're putting into us, ourselves, in terms of our, the way we're engaging God's word and allowing it to settle our anxious hearts. Right? Waiting well, staying positive, not shrinking our world in fear. All the waiting wells. I, I got to be patient here and let this thing play itself. I have to think the long game here. John had learned to wait. Right? you got to remember this. John's nature was more impetuous, like Peter. He was, um, uh, he, he was like, I need to get this done now, guy. Right? This was the person he was. Some of us are like that. Well, he, he, that had to get tamed in him. He had to wait for the time. Wait for the time. Wait till the time when the word of, the Lord, of God came to him in the wilderness. Right? And now, by the way, some of us, again, we may have a strong sense of something we want to do or address. But listen, the timing isn't right. 
and we may just have to wait. Hear me out, though. One of the things the Lord teaches us, and the scriptures are clear about this, waiting in the Bible, waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. It's not a pa- waiting actually is not a passive thing in the scriptures. It involves preparing. It involves positioning. In other words, I'm waiting, yes, but it is not a whatever, whatever approach to life. It's, 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 waiting with, it's waiting, but there is a purpose and a positioning attached to it, which leads me to the second thought, which is this, the value of preparing, or what I'm going to call tuning your soul. The... <laughs> with acquainting ourselves with the word of the Lord in a general sense so that when his specific word comes to us, we can hear it and know that the time is now. There is a power in solitude and silence. There is a power in aloneness. There is a power in pulling ourselves away from all the voices of our culture that are bombarding us all the time and taking up our time all the time, everywhere, in every way, everywhere, noises, everywhere. And there is a power in pulling out of that. There's a power in just quieting our soul and moving away from the noise. And yes, hear this one, lifting up our voice to the Lord because I think there's a power in spoken word to God, like audibly expressing ourselves to the Lord. I'm a believer in journaling, writing out my prayers. I do that, my thoughts before God, reading a scripture, jotting things down. Yeah, all that's good. I, I listen in silence. I pray in silence. But I also, there are times when I get alone and I just speak out my prayer to God and speak out my heart to God, sing to God. And you, need to, you almost need to have space to do that. You need to find a way to do that, to prepare for that. In the city especially, right, we have to be able to, to carve out space. It's not always that easy to do. It's not like we just you know, walk outside and we're alone. It's not that simple. So that's why I think one of the best places, and why the, another reason the Bible is so relevant, is one of the best times we can ever do that as urban dwellers is in the morning, early in the morning. You think about this. This was the way of Jesus. Look what it says here. About Jesus in Mark 1.35, before the daybreak, look at that, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Do you see that? Like, it, listen, in life, I'm saying this to the young and to the old, in life, we are going to have hard patches, hard spaces and places. They may have to do with relationships, And what they mean to us, very hard when we're having issues in that area of our lives. It affects everything. Maybe relational, may have to do with our health. Physically, might be physical, might be emotional health. Like we're having a hard time getting getting ourselves not feeling the way we're feeling and it's, it's really hard for us right now. Or it might have to do with finances that, that, that we need that are weighing on us, or, or, or some of us might struggle with you know, something that's going on in our job right now, or a career path, or a sense of confidence in our ability to provide for things, and there's fear there. Some of us struggle, and I know this is true because uh, I know it's just I know it's true for two reasons. One, I'm reading a lot on what's going on with the culture, but also because I hear so many stories every day uh, in the church, even, yes that many are struggling with anxiety, very anxious about things. Um, it, we can go into seasons of depression where it's, 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 it's hard, right? 
you get motivated. Like when we're more depressed, it's like almost, <laughs> it just seems like it adds to it. Some of us may have a broken heart. Heart's broken. How do you get better, right? All these places, they're real things. So what, I, what I'm going to say is that, you know, and some things, oh, hear me out. Because I was thinking about this, I was going, some things in our lives are so hard. The, the way through it is so delicate, so nuanced, so uh, precarious. Make a wrong play here, a wrong move here, wrong word here, wrong choice here. I can fall, I can, I can ruin this, I can destroy it. I, we can get fear, we can get paralyzed, we can get scared. How do I make my way through this? How do I wait? Am I supposed to wait? Am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? Uh, it can be like fear-inducing. It can be intimidating. There are some things in life that are very intimidating to us, very hard, hard for us, hard for us. And I was finding myself sitting with something. I was trying to think, Lord, what I show me. At the beginning of the year, all right, I'm thinking, how do I get? And I just, something came to my, my mind which was the 23rd Psalm, and that part of the Psalm where, the, where David, who's wrestling clearly, says, um, yay, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow lands, I will fear no evil. I will not live in fear, for you are with me. Look at this. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You, 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 you prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. Yes, that's what you can do, God. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I will claim this promise. Surely, in good, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? You see how he's pushing into the promise of God? Do you see that? You know, I look, I go, oh, listen to me. The, the, he, he will show us the way, but we must stay close to the shepherd. And so the promise is that we need to claim and lean into, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But we got to position ourselves for that, right? There, there's some situations that require a certain stance. And spiritually, we have to figure out what is my growth plan for this time in my life, for what we're facing. And then how do I work that stance? How do I work that practice? How do I work that growth plan? That's why I know it sounds like, oh, it's just a little thing, a little rise and shine thing. That could be part of a growth plan. Attainable, easy, doable. We're adding on to that. We're interacting. We're sitting with the words. We're pondering them through the week. We're taking seriously this opening month. We're giving our best to listening for God, right? So it could come in a lot of different ways, but essentially it has to do with the, you know, okay, I'll, I'll just have them throw this up. Waiting well for the things to pass or for the right time to act requires wisdom, patience, and preparation. It's, but it's not passivity. It's proactivity. It's as I'm positioning myself for the moment that may not come. But by faith, I believe it will. So when it does, I want to be ready to respond. Or maybe it has to do with just learning how to be in a difficult place so that God can teach us and grow us and there will come a, a season of maturity in our life that through the difficulty and the hard part of it, it, it ends up producing a life flow. Not that we would have said, I would take this life um, growth in me if, if I could do this. We would probably go, no, I'd rather skip it. But we're there. So then how are we going to use that for God to work his purposes in our life? You see what I'm saying? And then, and then I'll add one more thing to that and we'll leave it right here is that there's also the value, you can see it with John, there's a value of action and initiation. And in other words, to everything there is a time and a season. 
For John, the word of God came in the wilderness. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. It came. And when it came, that was the moment. There are going to be moments when our time of waiting and our time of preparation are over. When God is calling us to act, to move, to do, to respond, right? Time when the metal is hot or to use the language that John would later use. A time when the axe has to be laid to the root of the tree. Right? There will be moments, those kinds of moments when God is saying, it's not a time, it may be a time of waiting. It may be a time of preparation, but it may be a time to act and respond. A seasonal shift to put into play what we have learned. Time to put it into play. Activate, not procrastinate. You know what? You need to say that. I want you to say that some. Can you turn your person on your right and say, activate, not procrastinate. Come on, just say it. Here we go. Activate, not procrastinate. Yes. And on that note, we shall pray. Here we go. All right? Lord, I ask that you would help us to be responsive to you. Where are we? Where's the handle? Are we in a time of waiting? Help us to wait well. Are we in a time of preparing as part of it then? What does it look like to prepare? Prepare our heart to use this time well. What does that look like, God? To position ourselves for your word to come so we can recognize it. And then when that word comes and we recognize it, how do we move and respond to it? Oh, God, I ask that you would move. Oh, word of God, come to us. Help us to pursue this new year. Be open to your ways. And then we claim this promise as well. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.